Divine Truth Documentary Jesus, Mary and Others provide information to people or organizations that produce documentaries. In this video, Thomas Lita interviews Peter Litton Hitchens at Jesus and Mary's home, filmed on the 12th of August 2013 in Wilkesdale, Queensland, Australia. Okay. I understand. Do you think I need to get a bit closer? Um, so can you tell me how you came to find out about the teachings of the divine truth? Yeah, um, mum and dad first heard about AJ and Mary and um, dad was coming up to Queensland to go to a conference with mum and um, yeah, dad's like, yeah, definitely Jesus and I was like quite concerned and we were quite, mum, Eloise and myself, my wife, we were really like very doubtful. So anyway, Mum and Dad come up here for a trip and AJ and Mary invite them to come and stay here on their way through. And um, then AJ um, had a chat to them and Mum and Dad came back and said, yeah, there's definitely something here that we just haven't experienced before. So I guess as a family, like I travelled a lot in India, I've done lots of different personal growth stuff and I've always been looking and never been totally satisfied with the answers I've ever got. So I've always known there's stuff out there, but... It never, never been able to get the full picture. So when we heard about the divine truth, it sort of put all those missing links together that I've been looking for um, for a long time. So yeah. So do you do you now believe that AJ is Jesus and Mary is Mary Magdalene? I certainly believe it um, mentally and in my head. I mean, from a soul point of view, I don't think I've made the final steps. Um, logically speaking, um, for myself, it's like well. I've listened to like 800 hours of documentation and all these talks and all that sort of thing and it's like well there really can only be one or two answers to the question um, and that's either AJ is Jesus or Jesus is channeling through AJ and the second one is not very logical at all because obviously if um, Jesus wasn't AJ then Jesus is not going to channel through someone else like that because it'd be an unloving experience you know, it wouldn't be a loving loving for Jesus to do that so the only logical explanation is um, that the guy is Jesus but at a soul level I, I still haven't totally taken that in um, but I know like as far as the information and that's concerned like I guess probably what what gives me more certainty now than ever before is like when you start actually putting these principles that he talks about in practice that's when it starts to make sense and you go yep I just love this because every time I actually put it into day-to-day -day life and day-to-day -day experiences, it just works so well. So I've got a young family, I've got three kids, and um, when, you, um, when you start putting the, the principles of divine truth in, in, your, in your relationship with your wife and with your kids, that's when you see huge changes. So there's always, I find it quite ironic because lots of people have said that, you know, like... Um, Jesus breaks up marriages and that, um, you know, he splits up partners and wives and all that sort of thing. But for Eloise and myself, um, I sort of feel that it's actually divine truth that's actually kept us together. Like, we've always loved each other, but it's all the other rubbish and garbage that each of us brought into the relationship that's been hard. So it's sieving out all that stuff, so then you actually get each other, you know, like... Um, it gets to a point sometimes where you need more than the love. Like if it's just the love, well, actually the love means that you're not going to be able to stay in the relationship, you know, so unless there's huge changes. So for Eloise and myself, that's 
been something that um, it's been the concrete in our marriage is that actually we know now like um, anytime something's not going right for us as a as a couple or anything like that then there's something inside us that we've got to look at and address and go with that so it's made the relationship so much more stronger than it's ever been before yeah so you mentioned to me your childhood about seeing spirits can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, I think probably two or three was probably the first time I saw spirits. Um, and I don't know, like anyone who's got kids, um, most parents have seen their kids see spirits. And most parents even have a name for it. It's the imaginary friend that the kids go and play with. You know, like how many parents know that their kids have got these imaginary friends that they go and play with or whatever. So... Um, for me, it was a little bit different in the fact that um, I'd often see people who were stressed or um, in a bad way or just died, and I was the only one who basically would talk to them. So, um, so that was, as a little kid, like quite um, you know terrifying in a lot of ways. So, um, especially when you see people who are, who are distressed and you know really needing help and. Um, and most of them had had certain things that had really stressed them in their passing. So, I don't know, one of my guides who I talk to quite often, it's like, um, I think was, with the spirits, it's, um, you know, like people find it really hard or they just don't want to believe that there's spirits out there who are engaging with us all the time. But when you think of it from a logical point of view, we either die and we're composted and we're in the ground or we're going somewhere or there's something happening to us. So um, for me, I find the spirits sort of detach us from what they really are because really they're just us. They're our, our parents, our grandparents, people we often know, like the, the people in our community. You know? So when we sort of call them spirits, it sort of detaches from actually they're just dead people that once lived like us. And... Uh, now, um, I guess with the Divine Truth, and especially with AJ, he's been fantastic in, in helping and guiding me just see that actually people who, who do see spirits, that there's a real wonderful opportunity that we can help quite you know, many distressed people who haven't sort of transitioned from this planet to the next, so to speak. So could you give me an example of when that's happened? As far as... Um, don't quite understand that question. As far as you helping a, a spirit's um, move or, yeah, or yeah. transition? Yeah, um, well, once a week, um, myself and another guy, we, we, we do a channeling once a week. And so there's a lot of, lot of people when they die, um, especially if they die in, in, say, something like a car crash or something rather sudden, then when they then they sort of often don't transition from, from Earth to the spirit world. They get into this no-man's land, which is basically a, what's called an Earth-bound spirit. And so it, it gets to the point where they, they spend more time surrounding Earth than they do in the spirit world. So often a lot of these spirits are very distressed, and a lot of them also engage with us in heaps of ways that we don't even understand. So, so um, sometimes, like... All they need is a bit of a helping hand. So they associate with us being on Earth more than they do with spirits in the spirit world because they still feel like they're like us. And, and um, 
So all we need to do is just share some love with them and, um, and share to them that actually they don't have to be earthbound anymore, that they actually can go to the spirit world and then show them ways that they can do that. And often the reason they're not in the spirit world is because the places that they would end up in the spirit world are rather terrifying. You know, like people have always talked about karma and things like that. Well, it's not quite like that, but the reality is if you do, do um, unloving actions while you're on earth, at some stage after you pass, you know, there is, there is um, a time where you're going to have to connect to that. So some of the places we end up when we pass are rather dark and, you know, not, not what we thought they would be, whereas other places um, are rather awesome and extraordinary. Yeah. But as a child, that must have been quite a terrifying process. So, yeah, as a child, what generally used to happen, these spirits, I'd be going to bed like three, four, five, six, and they'd want to come and sit on the bed and have a chat. So, and some of them were really nice, and some of them were really terrifying. And then I always had a joke, like I could never go to hospitals or I could never go to cemeteries or airports because, you know, like those sort of places were places where a lot of these lost souls end up. And... Um, my, at the time when I was young, I just didn't know how to handle it. And when you, most people who are open, I guess, channels, generally we see it as a, a sickness or an extreme problem. So most people who I know who are really open channels as kids, a whole, whole idea is to try and shut it down as much as possible and, and to block it. Um, as a child, like, your fear is that you're going to get overwhelmed with just thousands and thousands of people wanting to come and talk to you and you're never going to be able to sleep for a start because once you talk to one then suddenly everyone knows that you can talk to them and suddenly one after the other they're coming for all different levels so it wasn't until I realized that I actually I can love myself during this process and I actually don't have to be in a position where I'm constantly talking to them all the time that now it's quite easy yeah relative to what it used to be yeah so what type of things did you do to sort of um, channel them out, in a way? Block, block them out. Um, to start with, I just wanted to totally ignore that, that they were there. Um, and to a degree, the more you actually do ignore them, well, then obviously there's less, you know, there's, they get to the point where they, they don't see that there's any point trying to talk to you anymore because, you know, you, you, if you avoid someone long enough, it gets to a point where then they avoid you. Um, so it was really like that. And what that does, though, it starts to block the clarity that I actually can speak, hear them and speak to them. And, you know, these days with Google, like, it's awesome. You know, you can talk to a spirit and then Google it later. Um, so that's, that's what's really cool now. Like, I like it when I can talk to someone who's lived an extraordinary life and then go and Google them and see where they lived and, you know, relate the channeling to where they are. And, I mean, these spirits are everywhere, so they're from all over the world, from different points, different places. So that sort of gives great satisfaction. And um, I think at the moment as a world, like, we just don't realise actually the pressure that the average person is under from spirits who are constantly at them, you know. Like, obviously there's a lot of good that comes from it, but, you know, we, we're totally um, oblivious to really what's happening. So an example would be like you're driving in your car and then suddenly your voice says to you, you need to fill up the car. And like you haven't checked your fuel tank, you haven't done anything. And it's like the assumption most of us make is that that's just us, you know, 
and that's our subconscious or whatever. When in the reality, often that's just spirits that are hanging around with us saying, hey, mate, if you don't fill up your car, <laughs> you're going to run out of fuel. Um, and we have these sort of interactions every day and we, we don't, we're not even consciously aware that this is what's going on. Or, you know, you ask a question and then suddenly you get the answer straight back. And it's like, well, I didn't know that answer, but how did I get that answer? You know, where's that, where's that voice come from? You know, and obviously modern spirituality and that's called it the subconscious and that, you know, it's a part or an inner part of what's inside us. But, um, yeah, I've sort of I've certainly seen it very differently. Hmm. Yeah, okay. So have you ever felt tempted to sort of want to, to connect to the families um, and tell them, you know, I spoke to whoever, this spirit, yeah, I and have. you know he's okay? Yeah, absolutely, I have. And, um, and generally the spirit will tell me something so that the family member will know exactly who they are. I mean, a classic example might be something like... Um, the father used to just love polishing his shoes and he'd always look immaculate and you know, always have his tie done up that extra bit tighter or something. So when you're talking to him, you say, look, the guy I'm talking to, you know, he's just wanted to say, you know, share you. And then, um, and then I can describe to them often, you know, what, what they look like and what they've got to say. And that's when the person generally will start crying or there'll be something that'll happen. Um, and I haven't met them before or know them before. Yeah, yeah. So... The, the thing I think with the channeling is generally it's our own baggage that gets in the way of being a good channeler. So if, if you look at history and channeling in history, the biggest issue is mostly the people who, who go on TV channeling or want to be renowned for channeling are doing it generally for the wrong reasons. You know, when we're wanting significance or we're wanting to feel really good or think we're really powerful and clever, then you know then it becomes a very unloving interaction whereas if you're just actually wanting to care for the soul who's lost or you know i mean at the moment a lot of the spirits that we channel are, are spirits who have done rather violent things while they're on earth and often massacred lots of people killed lots of people and these spirits for them they want to stay around earth because if they go to the spirit world they're in a very very dark place where they they lose all, all control of who they are, whereas if they, if they stay earthbound, then they can, start, they can still utilise people, so they can still use people to get their power and their needs uh, fulfilled. So um, it's, I guess I give the example like um, whenever sometimes we get angry, for instance, and the anger builds up inside you, and then suddenly you feel stronger than the anger, and it's like suddenly this anger is not just you, there's this massive anger inside you. Well, often that's when a spirit um, comes in and gives you a hand. I mean, if you look, if you look um, through time too, I mean, there's so many documented instances where someone's been in a car crash, for instance, and then they've literally lifted the car off their, their wife or their children or something like that, which science says is impossible to do so how did they do it you know like we engage with the spirit world so much more than we realize yet most of us want to claim that it's us you know we want to be the ones who know all this information and if you if you listen to a lot of spiritual advisors around the planet who call themselves gurus or call themselves people of knowledge most of them generally have a heap of spirits who are who are feeding them the information because really if you actually analyse the person, 
they, they're not in a position to know that information or have access to it. So where did the information come from? How do, um, how, do people, how do people leave themselves open to be attacked by spirits? Well, the easiest way to be open to spirits is when we don't want to be connected with who we are or our bodies. So anytime we're not wanting to feel our feelings or we want to, we want to avoid. So often people that have had enough of life or are sick of their job or sick of what's going on in their life, we get to a point where we just want to step out of ourselves. So often in those situations, that's when a spirit will come, yeah, I can help you, I can be part of you. So that often in those sort of times that happens. But probably more in the society we live in now, drugs and alcohol, like um, that's the ultimate for a spirit. So if you think of all the greatest rock songs and all the greatest music that's been written on the planet, most artists have to unfortunately say that they were stoned or drunk or under the influence when they wrote their music. And so why is that the case, that you have to get drunk, stoned or under the influence to, um, to write a, a cool song? And generally all it means is that spirits in the spirit world are writing the songs for them. And that, you know, when they get into that state, it allows the spirits to be able to influence their writing and influence their craft. Um, so, you know, there's many of the number one singers even today, you know, have even stated they can't write a song unless they're, they're stoned or under the influence. So those sort of times of, you know, like of when we're often violent or when, you know, a different persona comes out. But could you argue that in that, in that instance it's actually something which is positive happening? Yeah, well... You might see it as positive, but in reality, though, those guys who have written some really amazing songs over time, there's that possibility inside themselves. So if they actually went down a different track, they would actually, it would be them writing the music and them being the, the craftsmen, rather than actually having to, you know, trash their body and trash themselves in the, in the meantime, and then actually end up in a rather degraded state just, you know, to access the spirit world. Um, someone like myself, um, a lot better way is if you want to use the spirit world to write songs, just chat to them now. Like, like I can talk to a spirit and write music if I'm in that space. So um, that is an easier way. But then also acknowledge the spirit who helped write the song for you rather than just claim that, you know, I'm really cool and clever and wrote the music as the example. Yeah. So... How did people judge you when you told them, you know, I could speak to spirits or I can hear spirits? Mostly in the past, I avoided it at all cost. <laughs> it's not a good conversation, Clanger. You know, generally there's a lot of silence and a lot of people freak out. Um, I've used it a different way. So for most of my life, so let's say I was going to a party or going out, Basically what I've done is I've used the spirit world to decide who's safe to talk to and who at all cost I won't talk to. So I'll, I'll scan a room and say that person's really heavy and the spirits for that person are really full on, so I'll avoid them completely. Whereas this person's really nice, I can go and have a chat to that person and I'm not going to get hammered in the process. So up until recently, that's generally the way I've used the spirit world. And also... Um, for myself, I, I've used the spirit world as a protector, you know, I've wanted spirits to help protect me and look after me. Um, so, you know, um, anytime I'm in fear or in terror, 
there's been an expectation mostly for me in the past to actually have spirits come and help me and make it safe for me. And certainly in my childhood that was the case. So I'd get spirits who I deemed were nice to help protect me and keep all the nasty ones away sort of thing. And that's what a lot of kids actually do um, when they see, see spirits at a young age. You know, and you often hear, hear kids talking about you know, how you know, Charlie over here is not really very nice, whereas there's, you, know, you physically can't see them. And that's really the main reason why we're all so confused about it. The fact that we, we don't see them in physical form as such, most of us, that's why we find it so difficult to comprehend. Yeah. So do you see them in physical form? Sometimes, yeah. And certainly I see them as an image. Like, I generally know when I'm really open because I can see the air pockets in the air. So like, if we look at the air in front of us now, there's all these little gas particles and that. So when I'm really open as a channel, generally I can sort of see all, all that side of it as well. So it's like, generally when I open up, and I, most of the time I spend most of my time trying to block it rather than be open to it. But in those situations, yeah, um, then it's like I can see the, the aura or I can see the energy coming out of you, for instance. So I'll be able to see the energy that's there. And if I'm really open, I'll even be able to tell you the colours. So if you're feeling angry, for instance, I'll be able to see the darker colours. If you're feeling like you're in a quite a passionate, desirous state, then you actually, there's energy that's radiating out of us. And obviously then you can see all of that too. So you could also argue that this interview is influenced by spirits? Um, no, I, I don't see... I, I see this interview more as a desire of you, Thomas, and myself, Peter. So generally what happens is, like, when we get into a desire or when we, we've got a, something that we really believe in, then there's no need for the spirit influence because I'm not needing something from them and I'm not wanting something from them. So, like... If they're here, they're just here because they want to listen to the discussion rather than actually instigate it. So um, anyone who, who's worried about how, how much under spirit influence you are, well, the way you generally know is when you're in passion and desire and you like waking up in the morning, you're feeling really good about yourself and you're actually are being really creative with who you are, in those sort of situations, then you're very unlikely under a lot of spirit influence. So you were mentioning about the colour of the kind of auras yep. so does everybody have an aura and a color and you you can see them um for myself i don't generally see them when i do see them though is generally in the extremities so when someone's extremely in a passion or extremely angry then it's really easy to see it whereas in the mainstream i'm not i'm not really looking for it to be honest most of the time so but um i do it's sort of something like you see it when you're not expecting to see it and when you you know you'll just look that way and then it's there so, like, if, you, if I start looking at you and I want to see your aura, it's highly unlikely that I'm going to see it. You know, it's like, um, it's like when I channel, say, with a spirit, like, my guide explains it, like, it's that feeling when you just float back. You're a child and you've never floated on your back before. And so when you get yourself into that space where you're just falling back and are totally relaxed at falling back, knowing that you're going to float, that's when I'm, I'm really generally very open to seeing spirits and hearing them and, you know, connecting. The other times when I'm all tight and, you know, stressed or we're in a don't-want-to-know sort of mood, then it makes it pretty hard for the guys, yeah. Yeah, because there's this, there's this condition in children called petty mal. I haven't, haven't heard of it. OK, petty mal. What they do 
is they stare. Yeah. And you can't break their concentration. Yeah. And this, they can stare for like minutes. Yeah. Um, and my daughter does that. Yeah. What would you What would you think was happening there? More than likely, she's under spirit influence in such a situation. I would say. Um, and with children, like when we're young. We can only ever get under spirit influence as a child if there's something going on for the parents. So if the parents are out of body, and when I say out of body, I mean most mums out there know what I say when I say out of body, you know, when you're sleep deprived and every you've, you've been up all night and you just had enough, then you generally, there's that moment where you just want to step out of your body and you want to stop feeling, you don't want to feel how, how, how life sucks and, you know, how you just want to have six hours sleep, you know. But you don't want to have a cry about it or have, you know, get angry about it. You just want to keep ploughing through it. In those situations, that's generally then when we allow our children to be influenced in lots of ways. And that's when often they'll get the texter and start writing on the wall or <laughs> start trashing the place. Whereas when mum and dad's home and mum and dad are really in a good space, then you see the kids and they're just out playing beautifully together. And it's like, well, why is that different to another time? So with children, it's really easy. Like, like... When you, when you see a child that's just, you know, not, not being their normal self, and unfortunately a lot of children are in this state constantly, so you wouldn't, most, some parents wouldn't even know what their, their true self would be. But um, if you've got a child where certain times they've thrown the tantrum or they've just suddenly have gone all hyperactive or destructive or something like that, then there's often something just going on with mum and dad. So is that how you'd explain the terrible twos? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's a very large part of it. But I think there's a few other parts where the terrible twos is that, especially with our modern parent, and I'm, I'm in this boat, like us modern parents, we saw how, how our parents did it. We didn't like that very much. So we've gone to the absolute opposite extreme where we basically give our kids everything and we want to love our children this time around. We want them to feel it. So, so there's no boundaries, there's no, no guidelines for them. And kids need boundaries and guidelines. So in those situations when they don't have it, that's when they get to two and it's like, mum and dad have told me I can do whatever I want whenever I want. So then they see a bowl of chocolate on the table and it's like, mum and dad have told me for the last year and a half that if I see something that I want, I can have it. And then so they go for it. Then suddenly mum and dad are like, no, that's not good. But what's been coming out of mum and dad is you can have anything you want whenever you want it. So it's really just mum and dad that puts that into the kids. And, you know, at two, that's when that's a good stage where it starts to get reflected back at mum and dad. Because up until that stage, it's pretty hard for their kids to reflect it back. So would you say that... You're right, side? Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that sort of governments and people in extreme amount of power are influenced, influenced by spirits? Very much so, absolutely. And, and it can be working in both ways. But obviously, if you're a, someone who's passed and you've got a great need or desire to feel strong and powerful, well, it makes sense to, to see if you can start influencing someone who, who naturally is in power. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. And obviously it would depend on the ethics and the, the person in power to the extremes of it. So, I mean, we've seen that through the world many times over, you know, like um, that's well and truly documented, you know. So obviously the person who's in power has got a lot of stuff going on to them, but then suddenly you bring all these spirits who have a similar need or urgency and then suddenly that person becomes a lot more powerful. And the spirits 
part of their role in those situations is to terrify and scare the general public. And that's something that they do regularly in those situations, yeah. Okay, sorry, what, not many more. <laughs> no, it's good, you, I'm okay. good. Um, so could you give me an example? Because you said that you channel, you've had to channel people that have sort of been mass murderers and yep. things like that. How does that make you feel? And, you know, could you give me an example of where that's happened? Yeah, um, sometimes when I've done that, like, I, I actually often will nearly be violently sick um, while it's happening, like, or afterwards, I'll have, like, a delayed reaction. Um, so probably a, a better example is actually, say, a lot of people who, who um, say, in Germany, a lot of the Jewish population who, who were um, killed in the concentration camps and those sort of things. So we've certainly channeled quite a lot of those types of people. And, you know, there's access to some of those channelings on, on the net that people can hear if they want to. Um, and so some of those are really very powerful. And when you hear these stories of these people, um, yeah, it can get quite emotional. And I guess the aim as the person doing the channeling, like I guess my true desire with channeling in the future and even now is to get to a point where you are just totally authentic with who the person is. So the role of the person channeling is just to be totally authentic with who, who they are channeling. So, um, I mean, recently we channeled a guy who was a drug lord in the States why he's alive and very much continued along why he was in the spirit world he was earthbound and i mean you know he had a code and an honor and, and all all that goes with it but like um and we googled him afterwards to check him out to see if it was you know like if we we're on the right track and there he was on google um so those sort of guys like generally how i with my channeling I try and be quite specific with who we channel. So when I say that is um, I've got a, a spirit who's in a quite a good state of love, who's quite a bright spirit, who's in, in a higher place. And I really get him to direct who comes to us and who we channel. So generally when someone is coming to us to channel at the moment, it's simply because they're in a state that they're open and ready to look at what's going on and, and they actually want to do something about their life and what they're actually doing. So, when someone's continuing over a period of time to do um, extreme things to the planet and to the people on it, it gets to the point, if they're earthbound, where they get totally restricted and they can't do anything more because they just it gets too hard for them to do it. So those sort of guys get to a point where they just want to give up. It's like, OK, I've got to look at what's going on. And so often they're the sort of people we do talk to. Yeah. OK, you all right, sorry? Yeah. Oh, oh, another ant. Oh yeah, you have got another man there, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, I didn't think we were going to talk about spirits or channeling at all. That's all we talked about so far. I, I, yeah, it's just... It's good, yeah. It's good for me, too. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Please tell me if I'm going on or something. No, no, no. I just find it really interesting. Yeah. Um, it is. It's, yeah. it's really powerful, too. Yeah. If you go on to, I mean, AJ's blog, you can hit, see some of the channelings I've done, too. They're on the Divine Truth website. See or hear? Um, uh, at the moment, only here, but we are going to start videotaping them as well. So, what happens to you? Do you, you know, does your voice change, or do you physically change? Or? Yeah, if I'm really open, my voice—the ultimate is to—is for say you're interviewing me, and I'm the spirit. Is for the persona of the spirit to actually be able to come through me, and that's a good thing when that happens. Um, 
And for me, who's the channeler, it's like um, I'm not consciously aware of what's going to be said next or what's going to happen next. So I'm back floating, basically. So I just allow, allow the spirit to say whatever they want, however they want to say it. Whereas most of us, when we're channeling, we really want to try and control the whole interaction. And that's why often the general public gets a bit sceptic of it too, you know, like people go, yeah, there's something a bit dodgy here or something not quite right. And often it's just that the person who's either channeling either wants something out of it. So whenever we want something out of it, well, it makes it pretty hard. And if you're a spirit too who's coming to have a conversation and then the person's channeling has got all this other stuff going on for them, it gets to the point where it's too hard, so you back out. And then the person keeps channeling. So then it gets to the point where it's just being made up rather than being authentic of who was actually here. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Look over there. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's a good sign. That's a good sign, is it? Yeah, yeah. We're obviously all pretty much here. Present. Right. That's good. Because the wildlife won't engage or get that. Like, they would stay away if they were feeling something. Wildlife's very sensitive like that. Right. Yeah. So that's good. Um, so is it, like, on the line of wildlife, is, do, you have to, do you have to help wildlife to, uh, to go into the spirit world? To help? No, I don't think you need to help wildlife. I think it's more the... If, if, if you're wanting to enter the spirit world in a place of love and in, you know, you're not wanting to end up in so-called the hells as you know, many people have said it is in the past and you want to end up in a place that's is quite bright and creative and you, you're unrestricted, well, then naturally you know, you're going to want to have care for all things you know, because this planet has been created by God. So you know, anything we self-destruct on the planet, well, what's that saying about or reflecting back about us? So naturally wildlife and animals are part of that. So, yeah. And um, <clears throat> how has um, how's the divine truth helped you? Well, I think it's pretty well changed so much of where I was to where I want to get to. Um, I got to a point where I was sort of cornered because I had so many conflicts of interest within myself where I was doing certain things and not feeling very satisfied about it. So it was like I, I knew that I had to change but didn't really know how to, to implement that change. So um, I come from sheep and cattle property. So um, probably at the peak we had like 25,000 sheep and 2,500 head of cattle that we were looking after and managing. And I remember, like, with the animals, they've got, and even now, like, I'm still going through transitions, so I, I'm not exactly happy with where we are at the moment, but I know that I can move through things. But one of the things was, especially with the cattle, like, um, I used to, um, we used to, you know, breed, have cows, and then um, all the steers, we'd fatten all the steers and send them off to the feedlots and the, the abattoirs. And I remember there was this one time that really got me, like, um, I had 300 steers that were about 16, 18 months old. So these are boys that have been marked. And they were just fat and shiny and looked magnificent. Like, they were just amazing creatures. And you go into the paddock, and all these guys, you imagine 300 of them, and they all come running at you. And they'd start licking the Toyota and start wanting to say hi and tell you about it. And, you know, and they looked magnificent animals. And then... You know, a week later, a couple of B-doubles, they're like a, a truck and a trailer, so they're massive big trucks. And they hold about, um, I think, about 82 of these on each truck. So 
Um, we literally loaded all these beautiful creatures straight onto the trucks, and I knew they were going straight to the abattoir, you know, to be killed. And it's like, it got to the point where I just couldn't kill anymore. I couldn't, inside myself, I was just such a conflict and churning inside myself that here I am breeding all these magnificent creatures, whether it's sheep or cattle, and, and they're, they're, I'm literally doing it so that I kill them to make a living. So up in my head, like, um, I was getting really quite confused and messed about. And then when Divine Truth um, came into our lives, it's like, well, it sort of was a real freeing of that, that actually, okay, well, this is where I am. But if I want to make change, I can make change. And what I really love about Divine Truth is that it's not about Jesus and Mary. It's about your relationship with God. And then it's, it's actually how you then live your day-to-day -day life. So anytime we want to make change, it's up to us, and we're responsible for it. Many of us have had really bad things happen to us. Many of us have had things that we want to spend our whole life bitching and moaning about, or we want to, you know, you know we, want to, we want to blame what's happened in our past for where we are. And whatever we do that, it doesn't really work for us. So divine truth was awesome for myself and my family and the fact that okay how do we get from where we are to where we want to be and where we you know i've got three young kids i love my wife and i want to be able to hang out with them and actually really enjoy my family so um being on a property i was working way too much and often working to avoid stuff so um when it came to the divine truth it was like actually there is a way that we can love the land and I've been on the land all my life and the irony is that agriculture worldwide has without a doubt been one of the major forms of destruction of the planet. If we stopped eating cattle tomorrow there's a high unlikelihood that we continue to mow down the Amazon you know at the rate that it's going. So, so our desire for meat is being a huge destruction of the planet. So as someone who's lived on the land all their life and loves it and I'm, I think many farmers are the same. It's like, we know what we're doing, but we don't know another way of doing it. And the irony is that agriculture, although it's done all this destruction, if we really want to bring the planet back to health and we really want to create a healthy, stable environment where we can feed more and more people as the planet grows, then it's going to be through agriculture that that actually happens. It's through growing the soil and loving the planet. And so... I get pretty excited about that as that although my past has been one of quite a lot of destruction and I've been responsible for quite a lot of things that actually I can change that and we can change the way you know we live and what we eat and especially how we grow food you know how do we grow nutrition nutritional sustainable food on, on on scale you know and what would that look like and what would our soils look like and what would our planet look like so yeah so it's, it's been awesome for myself to grow my desires and my passions and go, okay, well, the only limitation to what I really wanted to do is just stuff that's inside myself. And sometimes my desires are not really, you know, good desires, and sometimes they are. And it's like going through that and working out, well, actually, this is when I feel really good, and this is what's really satisfying. Okay, can you tell me why you said airports and um, hospitals and... Uh place like that you'd avoid? Well, if you take hospitals, one of the things is when you're dying, and some people have had near-death experiences, so when you're dying, 
Often in hospitals what happens is you've got family members that are around the, the hospital bed, you know, grieving the fact that whoever's on the hospital bed's dying or passing away. So what happens is often when you're in that state, what would happen naturally or normally is that a spirit as you're passing would get met by someone in the spirit world to take you to your place in the spirit world. But what happens often, especially with things like hospitals and car crashes and you know, places like that, is, um, is that you're drawn back to the people who are still on earth. It's like a pulling that's on you. So if someone on earth really doesn't want you to, to go, then it's very difficult for the person who's passing to actually go. Um, and, and you see that often in families and even a lot of cultures how like they, they have the wake or the mourning for two or three days. And in that two or three days, that person is generally still, still very much part of what's happening. And then it's like they release the person and then that allows them to actually go to the spirit world. So especially in hospitals you see that. And, and especially when they've died under sudden circumstance, so they've, they've had a, you know, an instant heart attack or something while they're in hospital or something, like, it's like a jolting of the body. And in that jolting of the body, generally you often get terrified and scared in that place. So you're not wanting to go to where you're, you're ordained to go. And we've always got free will. So most of us in those situations want to use our free will to, unfortunately, the detriment of ourselves. Because it just seems so natural to um, not want that person to go, though. Yeah, but there's a difference between not wanting the person to go and, and simply crying about the fact that you've, you've lost some, someone you love. So, so you see it very, you know, there's a huge difference when you're still wanting that. So say, for instance, it's a partner, like your wife or your husband, and they've, they've passed, and you still, you still want your husband to be there to protect you and look after you. And, you, you know, that's one of the reasons why you don't want them to die, because suddenly you're going to be all alone then it's pretty hard. Whereas, whereas if you had that same dynamic, but you felt like how terrifying and alone it's going to be now that they're passed, for the person who's just passed, it's an extremely different um, concept for them because it's like, I've got permission to go. You know? and, when, and, and, and it feels very different for the spirit. Because often when we pass, you know, we still want to try and look after and protect you know, our families and the ones we care for and love for. So, so that makes it a real pull on us to stay rather than to go to where we, we're meant to go. And that's why there's so many spirits that are still earthbound on the planet that instant, you know, are, are part of everyday life. You know, most of us can't see them, but have a huge impact on our lives. And could you describe to me, because I know you said it off camera, um, about airports? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I used to really freak out at airports because if you think about it at an airport, there's lots of different things happening for most of us. A lot of us are in a hurry. We want to get home to our loved ones or we want to we finish the, the business week and we just have had enough of work and really want to get out of there. A lot of us get very stressed in airports. We eat a lot of junk food in airports. We don't really look after ourselves. And then a lot of people get sick of being told what to do and having to line up and, you know, being forced into doing different things that they really don't want to do. So it brings out a lot of ang angry, frustrated, you know, you know um, impulses in most of us. And so 
any time we're in those sort of situations and we're not actually connecting to it, well then we allow a lot of spirit influence to happen. And so in those places, a lot of times, it, you know, people are like dead men walking, you know. <laughs> no one's home, you know, you even see it. Like if you, if you camera someone walking through an old belt, it's like you can feel like they're walking, but I can't feel anything coming from them. And you have a conversation with them and it's like, doesn't make any sense and doesn't make any, you know, like there's no cohesion with what they're saying. So, yeah, airports are good for that. So, yeah, if you're terrified of spirits, airports are a good spot. Okay, last question. You all right, mate? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you gave me an example of, say, a mother lifting off a, a car from yep. her child. Yep. Have you got any other examples where spirits have been, have influenced outcomes that we can't actually quite believe? Um, yeah, I think there's many like that. I'll, I'll give a personal one. Um, I was riding my motorbike one day, a two-wheel ag bike, and um, I had a bulldozer put in a massive big drain and, and contour bank on, in one of our laneways, and I'd been shearing for a couple of weeks, and I just wanted to get outside and go driving. And I told the bulldozer driver exactly where to put it, so I knew it was there. Anyway, I'm doing about 80 k's down the laneway, and... Um, Suddenly something catches my eye just in the corner. It's this fox running across the paddock. So I'm doing 80 k's down this, this laneway on, on the property, watching this fox. And then suddenly I just hit the bank. And it's a big bank. And it's like, you know, those, one of those muller situations, you know. And so I'm just airborne knowing that this is not going to land very well. Like, I'm in big trouble. Anyway, I've just, like, as I'm floating through the air, I've said a little prayer, you know. <laughs> Any help out there, I really need it now or I'm in trouble. I'm going to be squashed. So anyway, then I've just gone boom, pumped the ground. I look up and the motorbike's just coming straight for me. It landed on my right knee and I bent the fuel tank from one half to the other on the fuel tank with my knee. And the bike's still, still actually going and it's on top of me and it's come from a fair height. Anyway, I, like, I landed and I thought, man, this, is, this hasn't been pretty. I'm not going to be even able to get up. Anyway, and I was like, oh, I feel myself and I can kick the bike off myself. And it's like, oh, my legs are good, my arms are good. And it's like, man, I wonder if I can get that bike home because it's a fair way home from where I am. Anyway, kickstart the bike and off I go. <laughs> it's like, you know, like science tells me that that's not possible and even I, you know, seen the bike. So I think lots of us have had those sort of situations. Another one would be like... Um, you know, you're driving your car like on an icy morning or something and suddenly you realise you're totally out of control. You know, if in that moment you ask for help, suddenly something miraculous happens or you go, oh, I'm turning the steering wheel the wrong way, I need to straighten up or I need to put the throttle down, like all the things that aren't natural to do. And like, I think many of us have had those sort of situations where like we've, we've had a freak out moment, but then we've asked for help in that moment. And then suddenly what we thought was going to be an absolute disaster or a monumental <laughs> destruction. It's like, oh, what happened? Like, we've come out of this and, you know, most of us then go, oh, if that was me, I was cool, like, and keep driving, you know. So, you know, it doesn't all have to be negative, but I think many of us have had those sort of experiences, yeah. Excellent.